Hello. Hello! You're listening to Green Minds at Imperial College. A podcast that explores topics related to climate change and sustainability. I'm Adina Molnar. And I'm Adam Eisenberg, your host for this show. We're two master's students at Imperial College Business School in London. Each episode, we are sitting down with guest speakers to talk about a specific topic within the field of sustainability and their insights on how to make an impact. We hope you enjoy the show. Matoha Ultrascience is a small and low-cost plastics identification instrument which has been developed by a team of four Imperial College scientists, Martin Holecki, Hans Chan, James Kung, and David Dai. Martin and James are here with us today, and uh, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Good morning. So, guys, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? What are you? Were you studying at Imperial? And have you always been environmentally conscious? Sure. Um, my name is James Kung. Um, I used to be a physicist here at Imperial. Um, I graduated, well, I've just graduated, and I'm working on Matoha full-time. Um, as for being environmentally conscious, um, I, I guess I've always had an awareness of what the environment, uh, of what we're doing to the environment, but, you know, it, it's, it, it's, at first it seemed like you know, you're kind of just one person, what can you do? But, but then as through, through the years and as we worked on the startup, I realized that there's so much that each one, that one person can do to make such a huge difference in the environment. Yeah, good morning, my name is Martin and I'm currently third year chemist at Imperial. And the way Mata started was actually um, through my environmental consciousness. Okay. So my mom has been always very keen on recycling it always forced uh, me and my sister to to you know sort at home and do all this environmental stuff and i think that the, the real starting point for mata was when she as a high school teacher took her students to a tour around a sorting plant in my hometown bratislava slovakia and when she came back she was totally horrified because what she saw was that all the plastic waste from the whole city was basically sorted by six people around the belt, casually taking out plastic bottles and sending, sending all the remaining waste to the incinerator. So she was horrified and I was angry because all the yogurt cups I have washed just, you know, got incinerated anyway. And this kind of clicked together with uh, what I've been playing with with my co-founder Hans with some infrared spectrometry and the idea of creating a local solution for sorting plastics was born. When was this experience with your mom? Uh, this was around my first year at Imperial, so okay. about wow. two, two years from now. Mm, okay. <laughs> not, not too long ago, um, which is kind of crazy when you think about all the work that you, that you put in to recycle and be you know, conscious of, of what you're throwing away versus what you're putting in to recycle. And, it's only two. I, I I would have thought that it's evolved, kind of more than that. The the, the problem with recycling um, is that there is still very little economy for recycle for for uh, you know processed waste, um, mainly because recycling is hard. And I imagine we'll get onto this um, in a bit. But the but the the, the problem is because there's re relatively re until recently there's been relatively little money. Going into the innovate, uh, going into further innovation and research of recycling techniques, and things to do with waste pro uh, with the waste product output, um, that means that no no one's ever really paid much attention to recycling, and that's why there hasn't been much innovation in for quite some time. 
Is there an industry for it now? Increasingly, yes. Um, as obviously scientists do more work on climate change, um, the world is beginning to realize that um, pollution is a problem, that climate change is a problem, that the amount of waste we produce, no matter in what form, is a huge problem. And so governments are now putting increasingly large amounts of funding, um, and they're also do uh, doing more uh, directives and regulations. For example, I believe the UK is planning on becoming plastic-free in 2043? No, hard but to say, but there are certainly legal uh, the amount that the targets that have to be met by certain deadlines that are set either by the European Union or by national governments and this is usually what propels the the development of recycling and recycling of facilities that they are actually it's legally uh, required to recycle otherwise no one would ever like, bother with recycling yeah. so can you kind of tell us how your device works yeah, so the underlying principle is infrared spectroscopy, which in practice means that we have an infrared lamp which radiates infrared light, and the special type of light goes through the plastic material, and each plastic material interacts differently with the infrared light. And then we analyze the infrared light that comes out of the plastic material, and based on that we can see what plastic it is. And to identify the material, we use uh, cloud-based machine learning, where basically each plastic has its own infrared signature, and the machine learning algorithms can, from the signature, tell us if it's polyethylene, polystyrene, or which, whichever of these. What are, or how many types of plastic are there that the machine can identify? There are many, many plastics out there, but most common ones are, say, PET, polyethylene, polystyrene, uh, polypropylene, polyvinyl chloride, PVC, mm -hmm. and our machine can recognize all of these. Wow. So, but th these are by far the most important by mass in waste. And, and can you say that there's a like most harmful type of plastic, and or are they all equal to some respect? I would say. Sorry, just to clarify, harmful to the environment. Sorry, yeah, 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 harmful to the environment. Yeah, so what I would say is depends on two things. First is the chemical composition, and second is how it actually physically looks like. So we all know that, you know, various, there, there are these, these plastic rings that are used to bind um, cans together, like drink cans mm -hmm. together, and then we have all seen the pictures of tortoises with it around their necks. So yeah. it can, plastics can be physically harming, and there are also plastics like PVC, which have very, very low recyclability ratio. And even when you incinerate them, there are toxic gases coming out of them. So there are various ways which, through which they are hazardous. So who will be using your guys' product? Is it more of for industry or individuals? So our device is for um, the industry. It's for the specifically, of course, the waste processing industry. Um, the, w the way plastic is recycled nowadays can roughly be categorized into two different manners. The first is um, automatic sorting, whereby um, plastics um, go to a large processing plant and are sorted onto conveyor belts uh, at high speeds by very expensive machinery. Um, usually a, a single sorting line will cost in the order of around half a million to a million pounds and that means that most places around the world can't afford this technology 
So instead, what you have is like what uh, Martin described earlier: is you have you know six guys on a conveyor belt picking out plastic bottles uh, because plastic bottles are easy to recognize and they're usually all PET. So the sort of so the sorters will take the plastic bottles out, and the rest will go to an incinerator or a landfill or the ocean or you know it, the, 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 it ends up being harmful to the environment. So you've got two. You've got currently you have two ways of recycling plastics and we are aiming to democratize the technology that's used in in these large-scale expensive machines and bring that same science to you know manual sorting we're giving these with our device we're giving these manual sorters better eyes so that they can they're more able to identify different kinds of plastic and in terms of um, the device itself I understand that it separates the product and it, I mean the different types of plastic. How does it go from separation to recycling? Uh, the first step of the whole recycling process is the sorting and the way our device works is like supermarket checkout. So you just scan the item, it immediately tells you what it is and then it's up to the customer to continue further with the recycling. So for example, worker sorts it into the different compartments, like what, what types of plastics it is and are, then it can be shipped off somewhere, it can be compressed or recycled on site. Okay, great. Have you, may I ask, have you sold any devices yet or is that the goal? Currently we are testing first devices with our customers, so uh, we have already sent it two instruments on loan with two customers recently and I'm currently working on a third loan, so. And how does the price compare to, you were mentioning the big industrial machines, uh, how does the price of the Matoha device compare? Yeah. Um, so the, as we mentioned, the industrial machines just for the sorting of so obviously hundreds of thousands if not millions of pounds, our machine is about as a smartphone. Whoa. So wow. it, is, it is a lot smaller, it's very portable, it's obviously a lot cheaper, but do you do require uh, manual labor to work with it. Mm -hmm. So. Our primary target markets are, say, developing countries where there is a lot of cheap labor which can be available for the device. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, kind of touching back on the overall problem of plastics, um, I, th I think in 2018, single plastics was like the, the word of the year, according to uh, Collins Dictionary. Um, and about 33 billion kilograms of plastic waste is produced every year, which is equivalent to 45,000 <laughs> Eiffel Towers. Um, can you guys touch upon kind of developing versus uh, developed markets and, and just talk about the, the general problem of, of plastics? Right, so... Um, I should probably correct you there. It is. It's not 30 billion. It's 330 billion kilograms. Oh, uh, kilogram. yes. So it, yeah. it's genuinely a staggering, staggering amount of plastic that we make each year. And that's because plastics themselves are not a bad thing. Plastics are incredibly useful. They're incredibly versatile. They're incredibly long-lasting. And these are the exact same reasons which make them well so harmful to the environment. Um, and the problem with recycling plastics is, unlike recycling paper or like recycling uh, particular types of metal, you, you, there are, we, we've covered the different types of plastic and 
they all have to be recycled separately because they have different chemical and physical properties. So you can't just collect all your plastic together like you'd collect all your paper together and melt them all down because the resulting, the resulting products would be chemically and physically unstable. Uh, that means you must sort plastics before you recycle them. And another thing is that because recyc the recycling of plastics is largely a chemical process as well as a physical process with, for example, with recycling paper, you can just kind of, you can, you can shred it and then add water and other chemicals and you can sort of, and, and you get your fibers back. But with plastics, um, because you have, because, because of the nature of the way the recycling process works, the plastic sample, the plastic input has to be clean. And that means that if you say, for example, take a yogurt cup that's unwashed and you put it in the recycling bin, that can't be recycled because it's dirty, because it's got you know, yogurt stuck to it and that contaminates the process. And that means that uh, all plastics before they are recycled have to be washed. And that is an incredibly time consuming as well as expensive step, uh, which further contributes to the lack of plastics recycling in the world. So you've got several things. You've got the fact that plastics uh, need to be sorted and they have to be washed and then they have to be recycled. And that's why it's so complicated. I completely agree that plastics are an amazing material with amazing properties. So I would almost say the problem is not the plastics, the problem is the way we use it. So you mentioned single-use plastics and that's just the top of the iceberg of, say, human convenience. We are way too lazy to wash stuff. Which, so you know, why, would we, why would we wash plates when we can just use plastic plates and then bin them afterwards and you know, so much less effort. So. I think by far we need the action that needs to be taken is we need to rethink what do we use the material for and maybe go do the additional effort of washing the dishes and reducing the usage of packaging, reducing the usage of say plastic bags you use and choose which products to buy based on uh, what how much packaging a particular product has and all these decisions which can be made by every one of us and you know you don't need to be a big organization to do this kind of change yeah it's really down to individual action and basically just reducing and reusing products instead of using something once and throwing it away here you are essentially fighting human laziness which is yeah. arguably a, a very tough fight yeah but um we will we have to change the ways we use it either by say legal regulations so because you mentioned single-use plastic ban or similar uh, legal frameworks but or or just you know our conscience that we actually should value the resources that are out there because they are limited yeah if everyone really paid attention to it I think that would be that would make a huge difference if we all had our thermostats with us instead of taking coffee and takeaway cups or single-use um, plastic bottles, whether they're recycled or not. Um, so going back to recycling a little bit, because what we are talking about now is more about reducing, reduce, reusing, mm -hmm. and reducing. Um, how much of this waste, plastic waste, is currently recycled, and is there a stark difference between, say, the UK and developing countries, which is your target? audience? Um, in the UK it's about 30 to 40 percent depending on where you live. Um, 
which is a staggeringly low number, considering how well you know developed and how and and how much money the UK has. Frankly, it's it's kind of it's it's quite sad, and that's because a, a large part of that is down to the fact that it's very hard to sort plastics. Mm. Um, because plastic, so recy the recycling of plastics necessarily involves that sorting step. That means that a lot of plastics, which are hard to identify, or don't, or well, which is most plastics really, are just not recycled. Um, and that number is quite similar for 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 developing countries. It's obviously a lot worse. So thirty percent say in Europe is really good. I believe for the US it's less than ten percent. Wow. And if we go to develop developing countries they usually struggle even with collecting the waste like residual waste in the first place and let alone do any kind of recycling or any any of these so and the problem with developing countries is that because there is uh, such a even you know they struggle just to collect the waste let alone recycle it and then as a result it just ends up in the environment and many of those nations are island nations so it just ends up in, in sea in the ocean is it because of the lack of infrastructure um to collect and recycle waste or is it more about mental um how they approach the, t the whole topic of waste collection and recycling? it is definitely both of yeah. these so uh this summer we got on plane and traveled to indonesia because we obviously wanted to see how it looks like firsthand and we have met quite many people there from the Ministry of the Environment to various organizations like Greenpeace and local plastic organizations and from them we have learned a lot. So first there is um, obviously lack of education and understanding that this is a problem and it is, it is a harmful problem so we have commonly seen people just you know throwing plastic waste wherever in the next ditch next to the road or just throwing it behind themselves or just complete complete lack of care like dumping waste into the river is a common way to dispose your waste so this, this is certainly a problem and th th this problem is because they have been used for decades to just use natural packaging to wrap everything in say banana leaves and the transition into plastics which you can't just dump somewhere is proving quite hard. Yeah, and it's really only increased in the past few decades. If you think about it, what, yeah. what happened a hundred years ago, they for sure didn't use that much pla yeah. plastic for packaging. And, it, and the local organizations in Indonesia, they are trying to do some education about plastics, but have mentioned that it's really hard to explain to the people that they can't actually dump it. But I must say what I really liked is uh, during one beach cleanup, we got lunch packed in banana leaves, which was really good. There was not a single piece of plastic. So th they have some ways how to avoid. If, if I went to beach cleanup here, I swear I would get it in like some kind of sandwich in three layers of plastic packaging. So this, this was really cool. Yeah, and I was gonna say, I feel like there's a, a bit of a catch 22 between like consumer demand and industry delivery so sometimes I'm, I'm really confused about what I can recycle and not because it's plastic and it's in a you know it's in a, like chips for example I buy a thing of chips and um, you know it's plastic and I want to recycle it but then it says like not for recycling so 
or even better, it just says check local recycling. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you never check, right? Do right. you? So then, like, consumers are demanding these products, but then at the same time, the industry should probably make it easier. I think the like the whole thing is yes, we're humans and we're we're inherently lazy about certain things, so it's best to make things as easy as possible. Would be my assumption. Yeah, but uh, at the same time. There is obviously a lot of profit in this packaging and you know making making these products. So uh, I think the only way, well, there are two ways how to force the industry to change the ways. First, if you start selecting the brands depending on the packaging, say this this brand of pizza puts it in cardboard boxes, this one puts it on a plastic tray with plastic overpack, and if you choose based on this, then there is a certain pressure on the brands because if their profits are going down, obviously they they want to do something about it. And second is obviously some kind of legal framework where they say, okay, this type of plastic is forbidden and don't use this, like single-use plastics. And yeah, it's, it really is demand driving supply. And if consumers demand less of certain products with packaging, then it's going to be... But the, the, the consumer pressure is something every one of us can do. And sure. arguably, it's hard to get laws through, and especially new environmental laws, but mm -hmm. changing the... The product selection would be used every day. It's yeah. really easy. I'm pretty sure there's definitely an increasing awareness of this. Yeah, and well, there's definitely. all these zero waste shops, um, bulk shopping, and new trends that are kind of emerging to, to fight this problem. Um, but obviously, talking about Matoha, you guys are fighting the recycling problem. So, kind of accepting that this is how it is, what can we do to mitigate the problem? Just to further like understand how the recycling process works, can you briefly go through the process of where recycled products actually go? And did you see a difference between Indonesia and the UK in terms of how the waste is collected? Okay, so here in the UK, when you have any kind of recycling, uh, you just put it, you know, once a week, you put it in front of your house and it just disappears. So. Usually, say for London, it goes to these massive sorting plants which sort it into the different types of plastics and other recyclable uh, materials. Is that automated? Or yes, okay. yes, they have these massive, massive machines which can process like 10, hour, 10 tons per hour and it's just massive process. And then some materials are recycled in the UK. I believe especially plastic bottles which are really easy to recycle, they are recycled here. And many plastics which are hard to recycle, such as um, uh, thin films, used to be, for years, they used to be shipped to China. And now that chi China has banned the import of these plastics, they are shipped somewhere else, or just staying in the ports, or just burned somewhere. It's, so, so depending on the material, the recycling process varies, but then from the material, obviously, you can produce new items. And say, they, it, so say someone recycles in Indonesia, where does that go? Well, in Indonesia, the recycling works. Uh, there is only significant recycling, I would say, for uh, plastic bottles. And the way we have seen it working is that uh, you either have people collecting plastic bottles, so someone comes along, and it's usually like a voice scavenger, and people give them their plastic bottles, and as a result, then the person collecting the bottles then gives it to a middleman and then the middleman transports it somewhere and then through this kind of chain it finally gets to some kind of uh, recycling facilities. So 
generally we haven't seen anything like recycling bins or anything. And other mode through which it gets recycled, it, it actually goes to landfill and then you have these waste scavengers basically going through the landfill waste and trying to find something valuable. And that was quite an interesting experience. So we went to a landfill in Indonesia and convinced the security guard to translate for us. <laughs> and we were interested in how much these people do get for the materials. And what turned out is that uh, since aluminium and any metals are so much more valuable, for which they get about, I believe it was about 20 pence per kilogram, uh, then they hardly ever scavenge for plastics, they just collect metals. So for plastics, it was, I believe, about one pence per kilo. Yeah, so it's and, really not worth it. And a kilo of plastic is this sort of massive pile. It, it's not like, so, so one bottle is, the value of one bottle is so low that they, they hardly can ever be bothered to do anything. There's absolutely no central infrastructure for... We have seen storage. very limited infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So there are some waste banks where people do bring waste, but again, the recycling ratio is, is very low. Did you, did you see any initiatives coming on board? Did you speak with like any of the organizations or government uh, about this? Yes, we have actually. So we have met with uh, Greenpeace and Waste for Change and other organizations. So for example, what Waste for Change are doing is that they employ local people who would otherwise have problems getting jobs. They don't pay them a lot, but decent salary. And they basically go sort the waste by hand, go through the fast through the waste, just you know manually digging through it, take out any plastics, and then try to recycle them. But all of these are relatively small and separate efforts. It's it's um, nothing at like a massive governmental level, and they. they they all know that, uh, especially the government knows really well that this is such a problem. But since the solution is hard and you know you would need to invest tens and tens of millions to, into new infrastructure that... Falls by the wayside. W one more uh, really interesting thing we found there was we were at this uh, quite segregated small island, basically in the middle of nowhere, and we're asking about how the collection of you know general waste works. and. What turned out is that even though there is a central ban on burning uh, waste in your backyard, the government, the local government actually prefers people to do so and, you know, pretends that, that they don't see it. Because if they collect the waste and then take it to the landfill, the landfill is just growing so much in size that this is actually bigger problem for them than the people just burning in the backyard. So, especially for small areas like you no know, cities, people, yeah, just have big metal metal uh, barrel in the backyard and just you know every evening we could smell this nice nice uh, kind of sweetish smell of PET bottles and this black smoke coming from our neighbors so th that's about how it looks like uh, the, the thing about um, Indonesia and many other developing countries is that they are often they are island countries um, often they are for example Indonesia has a staggering I believe 18,000 islands um, and in and transporting well anything from one island to another is massively difficult and when you think that for example an I a small island for example near Bali the one we visited was called Nusa Penida um, and is home to about 50,000 people no it was a bit less it was qu it's quite small it's yeah. like 10 kilometers in size so so, so so an island like that 
will ha relies heavily on middlemen to transport the, the anything from one from from one place to another, and that's why the price of plastics and indeed metals there is so much lower than the international market prices because the middlemen take a large cut because they know that if the middlemen weren't there, then all the waste would just pile up and pile up and pile up on these islands and. And you know that yeah, that's a huge problem. The government wants to incinerate it because if they don't incinerate it, when they're when the when the rainy season comes, all the plastic kind of washes off the land and ends up in the ocean. And well, actually, what it does is it ends up in on the north coast of Australia because of the way ocean currents work. So um, every year uh, during the rain, during the Indonesian rainy season, Australia actually receives a large influx of what is Indonesian plastic. And I mean, yeah, it's a, it's it's a huge international problem. Yeah, it is. It's as much as it's a global problem. It's all, all obviously very local for um, these island countries. And I actually read a week or two weeks ago that there is a new alliance, the Alliance to End Plastic Waste. Um, it includes like more than twenty-five uh, big companies, including Exxon, Mobile, PG, Shell, um, and they are fighting to and the plastic waste problem and obviously what this could do is bring an infrastructure or research and development into infrastructure that the governments of these countries can afford as you were mentioning that the infrastructure is what's lacking apart from that what do you think are the biggest challenges that the recycling industry faces whether globally or more locally um, in different parts of the world i would say it's one of the main challenges is the big variety of plastic which makes them hard to recycle that there are so many types of plastic which are actually not recyclable but, but commonly used and this all these processes are really difficult to do with when you mention the large companies from what we have seen in Indonesia and I'm not going to mention any particular company but we have seen quite a lot of hypocrisy in their in terms of you know these companies have massive profits on selling say products which are in small sachets or packaging and they have they have a lot of money they could invest into the infrastructure there but instead we have seen them recording heartbreaking videos of uh, how they help by educating locals but not having any significant yeah. change on how it works there so yeah i think this particular alliance they together committed one billion dollars to develop the infrastructure in the next five years, which yeah, well, who knows, well, it's yeah, ambitious, we'll but who knows if it's how much of it is is going to be efficient or how much of it is a little bit more greenwashing, if you can say that. Yeah, from their side, it's clearly kind of protecting their markets and their profits because if the if any government ever you know bans say small sachets, multi-layer packaging, all these issues which can't really be recycled then the profits of these companies will go down by a lot more than one billion. So They need to find the yeah. solutions to provide alternatives for these plastic sachets. Yeah, where uh, Matoa comes into play, right? Yeah, um, I mean, well, well, we try well, our best. We, we, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. we're a small company. We, we, we work with the understanding that just individually. We're, we're, we're not, we're, we, we are not solving the problem. Solving the problem requires, requires the entire population of Earth to kind of band together and decide that they're going to do something about it. What we're doing is making it easier for that change to happen.
That's, that's what I believe. Yeah, providing one piece of puzzle that needs to click into the bigger picture and then hopefully create a solution for the future. Yeah, I mean, you already did create some sort of solution. Um, in terms of the process, how, was, how has the process been for finding the solution? Or what number of prototypes did you have to go through to get to this device? So the way it started was actually thanks to one imperial competition, which is called uh, Faculty of Natural Sciences Make a Difference. And the way this competition works that if you are an undergraduate student, you just apply with an idea. And if the judges like the idea, then you get lab spaces and some funding for the summer. And they liked our idea. And we got this uh, and over the summer in, well, 2000. Two, two years ago. Now. Two years ago, yeah. We were able to create a small proof of concept. Well, it was a very large proof of concept, really. <laughs> yeah, well, it was this massive uh, machine with everything held together by tape and, you know, this kind of... It was a monstrosity. <laughs> yeah, improvisation. But the judges during the final event of the composition, the competition really liked the, the machine and they gave us some additional funding. And then working while, while working on this while studying... Uh, our degrees, we were able to go through, I think, four more revisions yeah. to create the current machine. Do you think this is the final one? Definitely oh, no, definitely not. No. 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 Of course <laughs> not. So, there's so much more to do. There's been actually quite a lot of feedback from the people we have been uh, testing with. And even the type of feedback that something has broken during transport is quite interesting for us. So, I mean, it's obviously an issue, but we are learning how to, how to create the things such that they are both easy to manufacture and are reasonably reliable. Cool. And, and so James, this is full time for you now. Yes. Um, yes it is. And like, so what's what's the plan going forward? Are you guys keep, you know, it's four of you right now. Are you building a, you know, bigger team? Are you, how, how is this going to work? Going we forward? are actually three people. Um, David um, has left us recently. Uh, but yeah, we're, 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 we we are, we're quite happy with the um, with our team at the moment, but I think I think at some point we'll need to take on we'll, we'll need to take on someone who knows a bit more about what we're doing than what we do uh, than, than we do. Um, I get I mean we obviously we can't do we can't do this alone. We're three people. Um, two of us are chemists. One is a physicist. There there are there are areas in which we do lack expertise, and though we've learned so much, we've learned a ridiculous amount over the two years we've been working. Um, Mart Martin's learned a great deal about optics. I've learned yeah, I started with zero optics and in three months we had a spectrometer on the yeah, table. So, so that was... Yeah, that was, it's, it's, it, the learning process has been amazing, um, but at some point, you know, we will, have, we, we, we will be expanding it. I think the current plan for the future is that we are currently working with our first customers to basically find who exactly is our customer, who we can sell this to in preferably large numbers, and then based on that, implement some future changes in the device, in some improvements, and then basically scale up the production, which hopefully should be later this year. What kind of research did you do to refine your target audience and like tailor the device to their needs? Is that what you're working on now, mostly? I mean, it, it does. It, it involves just well a lot of speaking to people. It involved when we were in Indonesia. Um, it was speaking to waste pickers, kind of 
figuring out how how much plastic do you deal with, what kind, what composition is it, speaking to companies that sort the plastics, asking them where do you get your plastic from, how much plastic is it, how are you sorting it, is it on a conveyor belt or is it just tables, is it done in batches or continuously, uh, all, all, all these things have to be taken into account, skill level of workers, can they read, can they, or, or power, power, do they have power at the facility, right? so we can plug the device into mains instead of having it run on battery, is there a, you know, all, all these things is, is stuff that we've learned on the go from talking to people involved in the waste management community, from talking to other, uh, other people um, passionate about plastic recycling around the world. There's a community called Precious Plastics, which is a very, very large international community of people who build and develop uh, plastic recycling machines. They've been really, really helpful for us because well they 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 have been yeah they've just been a great help um, and yeah it's a lot of just I would say the market research in our case was first putting up a website saying that we have a low cost uh, plastic identification device and from that on we are just it was more about receiving replies you know trying to get high in Google and then try to speak as many people as possible but it is hard to find the people. Uh, directly it proved much easier to physically let people find you and the other part of uh, the market research as James was saying was basically just getting on a plane to Indonesia and just you know, see it with our own eyes. Are you planning on going to other countries? What are your other um, target countries? So anywhere re really this technology is applicable to anywhere anywhere in the world really. Um, obviously it works better in places with low cost of labour and with existing manual sorting infrastructure. Um, but, you know, we, ha we have contacts in Philippines and Thailand. Um, I'm, actually go I'm actually going down to India next week um, as of time of recording um, to attend a conference. So, I mean, it'll pretty much anywhere. If, it, if, it, if, it, if, if there is a manual sorting facility there for plastic waste, we can fit into their existing workflow. And you guys mentioned like, you know, if the workers can, are able to read, um, I'm assuming you will have to do kind of local languages and is it audio, is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the interface is quite straightforward. Like you don't need to read essays in, in the interface, right? It just right. shows you what it is, right? right? And well, for example, we found out in Indonesia and personally it surprised me that most people there, at least what we saw in cities and in the richer parts, had better smartphones than I have. So they all love smartphones and obviously can use this sort of technology. So touchscreen interface shouldn't be too, too, uh, too much out of reach. Also, one thing that surprised me perhaps the most was that at the waste dump, there was the, by far the best internet connection. So I got 4G internet there, no problems <laughs> with connecting to Matoa Cloud. That's promising. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was certainly encouraging. Also, at beach during beach cleanups, we had mobile internet, and our uh, cloud system worked like charm. So that was that was quite cool. Mm -hmm. So you need the cloud system for it to work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the cloud system allows us to do several things. First, uh, we can learn from all the data contributed by the users. Then, second, we can create statistics and extra insights for the users. So, say how much this employee X has sorted was the composition of your waste input, you know, all these extra statistics. And third, it allows us to protect our intellectual property because since 
all the algorithms are located in our cloud, even if you reverse engineer the device, there are no algorithms in there. I think your second point can be a very good selling point to... Yeah, of course. I mean, it's certainly useful. So we have we have this sort of web interface where you can log in and see what type of plastics have been sorted and... Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so I think we're slowly wrapping up here. Uh, just to kind of give you a big question. What do you think needs to happen to fight the plastic waste issue on a global scale? And what part can individuals and governments play? I think, I believe that in order for change to occur, the world needs to realize that this is a problem. And, well, I mean, what it boils down to is we need to fight human laziness, whether that's by educating people or whether it's by designing better products and processes that allow, it, um, that allow for easier sorting and recycling. Um, no matter how, in what way that happens, um, the, the, the inherent thing that we're fighting is human laziness and our desire for convenience. Um, so what we can do to help, there's so much we can do to help. You vote with your wallet, as they always say. If you, if you don't buy, for example, things with uh, lots of disposable packaging, if you stop buying plastic dishes, you know, wash your cutlery, wash your dishes, you know. The, um, it, yeah, you just, it's, it's all about being environmentally conscious and knowing that the choices you make with your purchases and your daily life decisions um, have a small but noticeable effect on the world. And if you and if you just change your actions slightly, if the world and this entire world does that, we'll see great change. If, uh, yeah, if I may wrap it up. Uh, so the, th the changes that need to be happened first, on the consumer side is we need to think very carefully what do we use the materials for, and second, what do we buy? Then on corporate side, they, I think companies just should stop being hypocritical and just, you know, make, make a change about plastic, make a change how they, say, package their products, even if it's at the cost of, say, small decrease in their profits. And third, the governments should definitely introduce as strong legislation as possible. And I think th this way could, could be the, the effect, most effective way how to actually make the change. Yeah, we're definitely moving towards more awareness and all these social movements. Um, even the Nostra is drawing a lot of attention, as well as documentaries, thanks oh, to... They even have them, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So and hero. And <laughs> innovation, like like your, your guys' company, and, and then there's some seaweed replacements for, for plastic that are biodegradable and just... Yeah, yeah there have been so many new... Yeah, so new. many options. Yeah. Uh, so. Do you think there are a lot of new innovations similar to Matoha or what Matoha is trying to tackle? Do you face a lot of competition? Similar? Well, yeah, we don't know about any direct competition yet. Okay. And I think the reason for that might be because recycling market in general is, you no, know, it, it always struggles with profitability. So all these big companies, they just make, you know, those massive machines and make massive profits on them. No, no one is interested in this, this that much. So. I think we've already touched on this, but this is a question we ask every guest. Um, it's just, in general, this doesn't have to be related to plastics. Um, what is the biggest, uh, the single biggest thing that we can do to make sustainability happen, to live in a more sustainable future? 
if you have anything to add i think we talked a lot about yeah it. just change the change what you buy yeah 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 great cool thank you so much guys thank you for having us yeah, thank you for coming on thank you for joining us on green minds at imperial college check the show notes for our website and links to everything we talked about today and don't forget to hit subscribe to stay up to date with all our episodes 